You're listening to the podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a church in Gloucester, England. Well, we're back in the, as I mentioned, in the Psalms, and we're in Psalm 30, which is a, a Psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. And various Psalms in Book 1, um, David has um, been looking for and crying out to God in his sanctuary. There's been uh, many places where um, he has spoken of God's presence with his people, language which we associate with the temple. But here is a Psalm specifically for the dedication of the temple. So let me read this, these words. A Psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you, his saints, and give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favour is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favour, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forevermore. Amen. Or may God bless the reading and the preaching of his word to us this morning. Well, this psalm, Psalm 30, is a psalm of praise for God's great deliverance. It's a psalm of thanksgiving for deliverance. It breaks into five parts. Uh, verses 1 and 2 are thanksgiving. Verses 3 and 4 are called to praise. Verses 6 to seven, uh, a confession of, of sin in the middle. And, and then verses eight to 10, prayer, as he cries out to God. And then verses 11 to 12, uh, thanksgiving again. So it begins and ends with thanksgiving. In a way, this is just a classic psalm. There's many of the psalms we've seen have these sorts of elements in them, but this is a classic psalm of thanksgiving for God's deliverance. You think back to, to book one of, of the Psalms. So many times David is in the midst of trouble, in the midst of enemies, surrounded by enemies. Think of Psalm 3, it speaks of many, many, many enemies. Um, and then Psalm 6 is a, a classic psalm where he's calling out for deliverance and help in the midst of enemies. So some Psalms, David is really in the thick of it, calling out to God in the midst of trouble. And other Psalms, um, he's 
giving thanks for deliverance which has occurred. So Psalm 18, a classic psalm where he, he's, he's giving thanks for God's deliverance. Um, or Psalm 40, where another classic psalm that, where he's giving thanks for deliverance in the past. And this psalm is a psalm of thanksgiving for deliverance, although with elements uh, there of prayer in the midst of it. And so at a simple level, it's just great instruction for us to learn how to pray. The Psalms give voice to our prayers. They give us words to pray. They give us words to, to worship the Lord and call out to him, as we have done this morning by singing this psalm in worship. So we'll consider these, these five sections of the psalm uh, and then consider how these things are fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. But before we get to those five sections, just want to consider a little bit about how it is that this psalm is a psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. Literally, uh, it's a song for the, the dedication of, of the house. And it doesn't say which house it is. Potentially, you think, well, it could be David's house, his palace. But I think it's much more likely to be the Lord's house, which is why most translations say it's a dedication of the temple. But that might raise for you a bit of a, a puzzle. If you think back to David's life, David did not build the temple. It was not constructed in Jerusalem during his reign. David was the king who won great uh, battles and established under God Jerusalem as that fortress city. And the ark was brought there to, to one of the hills, that of, of Zion's, uh, uh, the, the Mount Zion. Uh, but he did not build the temple. But if you think back to the life of David, he didn't build the temple, but he wanted to. Remember, he had this great desire in his heart to build a house for the Lord. And the Lord came to him through the prophet and said, you're not the one who build a house for me. I will build a house for you. I will build a dynasty for David. And actually, it was Solomon, David's son, who would build the temple in uh, Jerusalem. So David did not build the temple, but he wanted to. And actually, uh, towards the end of his life, Actually, the, the site of the temple, the place where the temple will stand on Mount Moriah, that, that mountain where uh, Isaac uh, sacrificed the, the ram in place of his son, that, that other mountain, Jerusalem, sort of set in these mountains, Mount Zion, uh, and then there's Mount Moriah, uh, that site was set apart for the temple. If you think that at the end of 2 Samuel, there was this... Um, Great, David had the, the, the census, he simply did the census and the Lord brought judgments and there was a plague and the plague was coming through all Jerusalem and, and David was there and there was a, 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 he made sacrifice there in that place um, in the threshing floor of Aruna in Jerusalem, Mount Moriah and that became the site of the temple. Um, and he says, 1 Chronicles 22, at, um, David says, here shall be the house of the Lord God and here, the altar of burnt offering for Israel. So David didn't build the temple, but he wanted to, and it was all prepared. And then he set about preparing dressed stone and getting iron for the nails and, and, and bronze and, he got, and timber, cedar from Lebanon for the timbers. And he gathered all the stuff for the temple. So he didn't build it, but he wanted to and made preparations, the site and all the things ready for uh, the temple. Um, and actually, this psalm... Um, I discovered this week, it's, uh, it's, it's later used at the festival of the dedication of the temple, the festival called Hanukkah. So the, um, the, the word dedication is Hanukkah, and this psalm was used at, uh, at that dedication, and that was to, to celebrate the time 
when the, the temple was uh, rededicated after the, the Greeks under Antiochus Epiphanes had desecrated the temple. He'd sacrificed a, a pig on the, on the altar and desecrated the temple. And then they, the Maccabean revolt, they, they cleared the Greeks out of the temple. It was restored. And this was a psalm used at the, the dedication of the temple there. And it's still used um, in Judaism for, 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 for Hanukkah, that, um, for, the, for the dedication of that. Um, so it's a psalm of thanksgiving for deliverance and, and a psalm of prayer. And that is very fitting for the dedication of the temple because the, the house of the Lord in Jerusalem was to be a house of prayer, a house where Israel could come and cry out to God. So when Solomon came and, and actually the temple was built and the ark was brought in and the glory of the Lord filled the temple and, and Solomon, there's this great prayer in 1 Kings 8 and he speaks like this. He, he, he says, well, will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heavens cannot contain you, much less this house that I have built. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place and listen in heaven, uh, your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. So that, that temple, that house of the Lord was a place where, where the king and the people were to gather to pray for deliverance. And, and Solomon goes on, he says, uh, when your people are defeated before the enemy because they have sinned against you, and if they turn again to you and acknowledge your name and pray and plead with you in this house, then here in heaven and forgive the sin of your people. So they knew that God did not live in the temple in a sort of simple way, but God, highest heaven couldn't contain, but God was, that was where his presence was made known on the earth, and that was where prayer was to be made in Jerusalem. We see that throughout the Old Covenant, even the end of the Old Covenant, people of God <laughs> gathering to pray and to cry out for the redemption of Israel there in Jerusalem. And so it's appropriate that this, this psalm for the dedication of the temple is just a classic psalm of uh, thanksgiving for deliverance and which contains prayer because that is what you do as you come in to the presence of God. Well, now, verse one, we come to that, this thanksgiving, David's thanksgiving for uh, deliverance. Verse one, I will extol you, O Lord. God is high and exalted. For David to say, I will extol you, is simply for him to, to acknowledge or to recognize the greatness of God. Uh, I will extol you, Lord, for you have drawn me up, um, just as you would draw up uh, a bucket out of a, a deep pit or a deep well. David has been drawn up. He's been lifted up by God. I've been drawn up. Oh, Lord, you've drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. David, surrounded by trouble, surrounded by foes, they were waiting to see him fall, ready to rejoice in his fall. And the enemies of the people of God today rejoice uh, when Christians trip up and fall. Um, but here he's, he's rejoicing that the Lord has drawn him up, rescued him. Um, and then verse 2, Oh Lord my God, I cry to you for help and you have healed me. That phrase, O oh Lord my God, is there in verse 2. And again, um, at the end of the psalm, verse 12, O oh Lord my God. David knows God. Uh, he knows the covenant God, uh, the Lord who said, I will be your God 
and you will be my people. And David had come to know the living and true God. So we, we call on a God uh, that we know, a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We, we can call it, oh God, my God. So he calls out, oh Lord, my God. I cried to you for help and you have healed me. And the word healed there is used of healing from disease, also of restoration, um, more, more kind of broadly, of, of, of a, if there's a ruined house, it's restored. It can be used in that sense. But it's this, it's healed me, he's restored me. Verse 3, O Lord, you've brought up my soul from Sheol, that's the place of the dead. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. David was at the brink of death itself. In poetic imagery, he says he's in the land of the dead, he's in the grave, he's as good as dead, he's a dead man. And he cried to the Lord and he was drawn out from that. Here are images of um, salvation, really. Images which are rooted in real experiences in David's life, but images which should just speak of the salvation that God brings to his people. And then out of that salvation, he then calls on the people to um, to praise in verse 4. The thanksgiving for deliverance then issues forth in this call to praise and worship. Verse 4. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. And the translation there is saints is something like the, the faithful ones of God. Um, and so in view here, it's not only David, as David is an, he's got this sort of, he's rescued as the king. But surrounding David are those who, who also trust in the Lord. And if David falls, that's terrible for them. And if David is raised, that is great for them. And so this David has been rescued. And therefore, those who are trusting in the Lord, who are part of David's kingdom, can rejoice. Uh, if David falls, um, Saul and David's enemies will rejoice. So there are these, as it were, these two communities, the foes who are against David um, and then his, his friends, those who are members of the kingdom. And that's really where we see ourselves in the Psalms, those uh, believers in Christ who are trusting in the Lord and are called to rejoice. And so David, having experienced his deliverance, calls on those to uh, to praise him, his faithful ones to praise him. And then he's, he's calling them to see the kindness and favour of the Lord. Verse 5, for his anger is but for a moment and his favour for a lifetime. David has experienced himself the disciplining hand of God for his own sin. He's born to, to, to an extent the consequences of his own sin and foolishness. Um, he could trace in his own life the disciplining rod of God. But now that the clouds have cleared and he's seen behind that the smiling face of God, the favour of God, which for a, is for a lifetime. The trouble was just, as he says, momentary. And sometimes trouble and difficulty comes into our lives and we can trace that to particular uh, foolishness or particular sin and we can, can see that there is a, a connection and God disciplines us for our foolishness and for our sin. Sometimes troubles come into our life just simply as a result of being in the fallen world or because of someone else's sin. So it's, it's not simply that every time there's um, suffering and difficulty we can trace that back to 
to, to uh, the sin of a, uh, ourselves or sin of a particular individual. Jesus teaches that, doesn't he? There's not this sort of karma that someone sins and then there's, there's anger and punishment immediately working out in the here and now. Um, although David could see that in his own life. But really, he's calling the people of God here to, to see that although God disciplines his people, that they do go through trouble and affliction, to see that actually the Lord's loving kindness stand behind all these things, that the Lord is working out a purpose of grace and kindness. His anger is but for a moment, but his favour is for a lifetime. His covenant love endures for a thousand generations. And the ideas are repeated in verse 5. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. David has come through difficulty into a place of joy and rejoicing. And he looks back at what was he sees now as a short season of sorrow, a short season of sighing and tears. Similar expression in um, Isaiah 54 verse 7. Uh, where the Lord says, for a small moment, speaking of Israel, for a small moment I have afflicted thee, but with everlasting mercies I will gather thee. And Paul takes up the idea in 2 Corinthians 4, 17. He speaks of this light, moment, the, the troubles faced by believers and those he's speaking to. He sa says that this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Paul speaks of his own troubles uh, when he was flogged and homeless and shipwrecked and all those things as light momentary afflictions and sets against those the eternal weight of glory. And so if you are in trouble and affliction, we need to, to see the that our loving Heavenly Father and look forwards to his, his grace and his mercy. One of the difficulties in, in suffering is when we think that in the midst of suffering, uh, Satan comes along and tells us, yeah, this is permanent. This is going to last forever. It's never going to change. And so the scriptures, is that they teach us endurance and patience, and they help us to, to look forwards and to know that the sufferings of this life and life in a, in a fallen creation are but momentary in the light of God's eternal purposes and in the light of God's love for his people. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. <coughs> well then, verse 6 onwards, he confesses um, his sin, really. Verse 6, he says, As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. He looks back to a time in the past when he had been proud, where he felt secure in his position, and that had led to uh, this, this fall. There was this carnal, worldly security. Uh, but then he, he comes to recognise, verse 7, that it wasn't his own strength, but it was only God's favour that enables him to stand. By your favour, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. Um, he might be referring to, Jerusalem there or just metaphorically speaking of his kingdom and, and the strength but that is that relied on God's favor he was dependent on the Lord it was by God's favor and mercy that he had strength and you hid your face and I was dismayed he knew 
he'd come to know as he looks back that actually he's dependent on God for every blessing that he received. And there's this growing awareness and there's this maturity there as he uh, as he looks back and I think as we as we grow in the Christian life we, we acknowledge more and more how dependent we are on God for for blessing and mercy that it's not uh, because of our own strength and wisdom that we can do anything really or accomplish anything it's only uh, in the Lord and because of his great mercy for us and then he turns to prayer verse to you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. And I found this interesting. Here is this, this psalm of thanksgiving for deliverance. Um, but in the midst of it, there's still room for prayer. And we, and we see that, that David, uh, he gives thanks for all sorts of the ways that the Lord has blessed him and helped him. But he's still in the midst of many battles. Now here he is, probably towards the end of his life, and he's still got room, even as he gives thanks for deliverance, to pray. And I thought this was uh, instructive. I don't know if you, you sort of have looked back to, to battles that the Lord has sort of led me through in the past, and I can, be, I can be tempted to think, what, I'm facing another battle now? But I've been a Christian for all these years. How come I'm still back? How come, was I doing something wrong in the past that I'm facing such difficulty today? But actually, we see David here, uh, he's experienced mighty acts of deliverance. The Lord has helped him. There's still room for prayer, isn't there? Here he is at the end of his life. Uh, God has wrought this great deliverance. We don't know what other enemies he's really facing, but there are plenty. You know, the godly will always have battles, always have difficulties. There will always be trouble. We see uh, in, the, in the church, through church history, there are times of relative peace and quiet for the church and for our, for our own families and situations, there are times of relative peace and prosperity. But even in times of relative peace and prosperity, there's still room for battle. There's still room for praying and prayer. And perhaps you have discovered that. And then he comes here and he uh, adds powerful arguments in verse 9 as to why God should help him. Verse 9, what profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? He's arguing with God here on the basis of God's own honour, on the basis of God's glory. He's, he's praying, uh, Lord, if I'm in the dust, uh, the dust can't praise you. He's not so much, I think, commenting about the, the afterlife and things like that. He's just saying, look, if I'm alive... Um, I can sing your praise. I can lead the people in praise. If I'm dead, the dead men cannot sing your praise. I think that's what he's saying. Will it tell of your faithfulness? And so his argument here is that, Lord, deliver me that your faithfulness, that your glory might be made known. That is his prayer. Um, it's a similar prayer, I think, in Psalm 67, where uh, the psalmist uh, prays, May God be gracious to us and bless us, and make his face shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. So, so he's, he's praying for help for his kingdom and uh, for his own situation so that God's name might be made known. And so similarly, in our, in our church, we can pray similar prayers that God would bless us as a, a fellowship here, so that the gospel might go forward and that God would bless and guard us in our homes and families 
so that his faithfulness might be made known to the next generation. So you see, he brings this argument in here. And, and I just love David, how he's not passive, is he? He's in trouble, but he has all kinds of, he's giving thanks, he's arguing, he's praying, he's confessing his sins. There's this rich life of prayer that, uh, that he, he has and which we are instructed to learn from. And then um, he has um, verse, um, we come on to his thanksgiving at the end, these final two verses. He returns to thanksgiving. The psalm begins and ends with thanksgiving. Verse 11, he says, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. And I think it's just a beautiful picture of, of the Lord himself did you notice? You have loosed my sackcloth. The picture is the Lord himself comes down and is saying, uh, oh, come on, get rid of all those mourning clothes. You know, you've been dressed in black too long. Uh, you've been wearing sackcloth. Come and take those off. And here are clothes of uh, gladness. It's the Lord himself who is coming and wrapping him with clothes and garments of praise. And, and David is really testifying that... Um, it's not by his own ingenuity that he's managed to turn his mourning to, to dancing. It is it's the Lord's blessing has come into his life and clothed him with gladness. He's been through times of such sorrow and grief, but the Lord has turned his mourning into gladness. And verse 12, he prays that my glory may sing uh, your praise. Here he's really that expression, my glory, is really saying my whole being. There's a similar expression in Psalm 7, verse 5, and actually in Psalm 16 towards the end. That my glory, my whole being, may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, as he started with that, he ends with that. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Well, it's a wonderful psalm. Um, but as we circle in and come now towards landing, um, we see how these things really are fulfilled in great David's greatest son, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and I think that the first way we see that is that it's actually only through Christ that we can come and make, bring our prayers and petitions to the Lord. And we, we sort of see that held out to us in these symbolic ways that it's held out in, in the temple, if you sort of think back to this dedication of the temple and the, 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 the plagues which were befalling David and that, that altar was made there, the altar of burnt sacrifice was there in the temple. And if you're going to approach God or the priests were going to approach God, there needed to be that sacrifice made so that they could approach the presence of the living God. So they could return, as it were, to Eden, to the presence of God, where they would see God face to face. That was the, the symbolism of the temple. But we know these things are fulfilled in Christ, that he is the, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world, that he came to, to die upon the cross and rise again, that we might have access into the throne room of God. Remember that the curtain was torn in two, and we've got access back into the presence of the living God, back, as it were, to, to stand in Eden before the face of God spiritually. We're enthroned on high, seated in, in heavenly places. We've got that, that access through Jesus Christ. He is the sacrifice whereby we can come into the temple. He is the temple. He is the, the, the meeting place. He came into the world. He said, um, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. We don't go and pray 
towards an earthly building. We come and we pray uh, to the Lord enthroned on high in heaven through Christ. So these things are fulfilled in Christ. We have access. We think of the, the, the dedication of the temple. We think it's all fulfilled in Christ and in his death and his resurrection. And so because Christ has died and risen again from the dead, he's opened up this way of prayer and communion for us with the living God. Um, and so thanksgiving, isn't it? That fits us so fitting for the people of God as we gather together. We, we, we come with prayers, with psalms of thanksgiving for that great act of deliverance, that mighty act that is the heart of the church's praise and worship, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, and that was when uh, the mourning of the disciples and their sorrow and sadness was turned into joy. Just think of the, uh, the disciples on Good Friday. They were in mourning and sorrow and sighing. All their hopes had been dashed, uh, their hopes that God was going to come through for them. But think of the disciples on that first Easter morning. The Lord had been drawn up out of the grave. He'd been raised up to sit at God's right hand. He'd been raised up in his risen life. And the Lord changed their mourning into darkness, into dancing. See, the, the joy of the disciples as they run back to Jerusalem to be in the presence of the risen Christ. So there's that great joy that Christ is risen and Christ leads us on in triumphal procession. He leads us on in uh, praise and joy. So Christ now, he's established his house of prayer for the nations. Uh, we are his people on earth who have access to the throne room of God most high. So it's our great privilege as we meet and worship to praise the Lord and our, our church should be um, marked by thanksgiving and prayer and our homes as well uh, marked with thanksgiving and praises and prayer uh, we can take up psalm 30 and uh, take that in our homes and families and uh, celebrate um, and we even in the midst of thanksgiving for that great deliverance we remember as the psalm reminds us we are still in the midst of many battles still reminded here of great need to pray and to go on praying in the midst of trouble and difficulties, going on crying out to the Lord to be merciful to us and to be our helper. So it's just simply the Psalms, a spur and a reminder to pray because it's finally, as we look forward to that great day of resurrection, that will be the day when finally our, our mourning will be turned into dancing. That will be the day finally when our uh, mourning clothes uh, and sackcloth is, is removed by the Lord when we are clothed with joy. That will be the day when every tear uh, and every sorrow will finally be dealt with, every tear wiped away as we see the Lord, as we look, as we see him face to face. So as we pray, as we pray for God's mercy in the midst of many battles, we likewise, we look forwards to the return of Christ Jesus in glory and in power. So let us pray together as we close.
You've been listening to the Sermon Podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church. You can find us out online at gloucesterpres.co.uk. For more, thank you.